everyone. Uh, Josh, Chris, and John here, and we're here. Uh, welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where we read every play that's won a podcast. Uh, or won a, um, where we read every play that's won a Pulitzer. Um, from 1918 to present, we're currently in the year 1923, um, and I am joined by uh, Philadelphia uh, theater maker uh, John Rosenberg. Hello. And uh, uh, international um, uh, <laughs> consult your papers. Um, international Casanova, um, Christopher. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Uh, and we're here today to talk about Icebound by Owen Davis. Um, I think I can take the intro this week. That's why it was all you. Uh, Please, yes. Icebound is a play that is set in, I think, northern Maine or certainly New England. Um, Owen Davis in a foreword talks a little bit about the importance of the region and of sort of it's like inherent Puritanism um, and the Puritanism of the families there. The families that we are following for this play is the Jordan family that is sort of a local wealthy farmer family. And as the play begins, um, the, the children are the three slash four children and their spouses, their children are waiting for um, the matriarch of this family to die. I don't even think we ever get her name. Um, she looms large over the entire play and is never on stage. And, um, uh, and as she dies, rather than giving the money to sort of the three children who've been around or the, there's a fourth son, Ben, who is sort of a, um, a prodigal son, she gives it to a cousin who has been sort of a family helper for several years and gives Jane, the cousin, all the money um, with a twist that she uh, uses that money to make Ben, uh, the prodigal son, fall in love with her. Um, and uh, sort of chaos ensues from there. That setup makes it sound a little bit more sitcom-y or fun than it is. <laughs> I would say that this thing is filled with um, not a single likable character, in my estimation. Um, what genre would you call this play? Like acid. Um, I think I've sort of, I, I guess sort of a very dark comedy. Melodramatic dark comedy. It's it's a strange one. Yeah. Um, I found myself really liking it and I was I was just editing last week's episode and I was describing it a little bit and I like sort of made a side joke that like well this is right up my alley and it it totally is um like, why so I I think it's like I found it pretty campy um it's very barbed um it like I could almost imagine every character being played by a drag queen um like I actually think that like <laughs> that would work like best if played yeah um like even if they're all like they're they're not like fabulous people by any means they're all sort of dowdy and 
dumpy, but they're just so extreme in their sort of vitriol for each other and sloth and greed. Um, this is a family of people that I think sort of inhabit like many of the seven deadly sins. Um, and even the characters that are sort of like framed as maybe morally sort of right in the play are so like, I don't know, sanctimonious or like, like judgmental that like, you don't like them. And but like, there's no one to really like root for in the play, but I ended up sort of liking that. Um, and I sort of like, there's a, there's a torridness in it um, that I sort of enjoyed. Uh, Where did you grow up, Josh? I grew up in the frigid hills of San Diego. So, um, <laughs> so not, nothing like northern Maine. Yeah, so I, I don't really relate to the setting at all. Um, I was just thinking the people. I don't think my know. family particularly like, likes each other. Um, so I like relate to some of the family dynamics. I don't think we're, I mean, and there is a good, there has been a good amount of like, like I think inheritance or like, I, I think relationships can end up being boiled down sometimes in my family to like a little bit of like a transactional thing that, that happened in this play. Yeah, my mother's family has some inheritance issues and with my, um, my ex-brother-in-laws. So I guess um, maybe I can, like what surprised me about the play was, I, I, I think it sort of like tried to hold a lot. Um, and I don't know if it did it like, successfully but i like the parts like i liked it as sort of like a over-the-top family drama and i sort of liked it as a like barbed dark comedy about death and um and sort of family problems um i don't think it does it quite well at the same time always i think it sometimes sort of shifts tone um but i i liked both parts of those and i i did find um that to be sort of surprising. I think I also found it surprising given the author talks so much about the pl about the place and that this place is something that seems to be really important to him. And the place is feels very important to the play, um, but he doesn't seem to have a lot of good things to say about that place. Um, <laughs> like it was very important for him to write this play about uh, New England, I think to say fuck you <laughs> to it. <laughs> But he didn't want to say fuck you necessarily to the people, did he? I mean, no one's perfect, but no one's, but they're, they're drawn people. He doesn't, and they're not he doesn't like mock them, right? They're not stark characters, right? What did you think, uh, John? Um, I thought like, uh, the thing that caught my eye that was interesting, I'm always interested in how authors get away with their exposition. And I think what I appreciated about Owen Wilson was like, Owen Davis, <laughs> right. Is that like, Owen Wilson wrote the, what is it? The, the Western novel. King Lear, he wrote King Lear. Um, no, no, Owen Wilson is the guy from yeah. <laughs> uh, <Wes Anderson. laughs> oh. I think what I appreciated was like Owen Wister. Um, even though the characters kind of at the beginning to like explain who they are to us, it made sense to me that it 
it occurred like because they're all under pressure waiting for the mom to die and they're all almost stating their worth or their position. So I think one thing that really caught my eye, I appreciated how he was able to use pressure in a situation to get away with exposition. That's something I, I liked. Um, it surprised me that I thought it was just going to be like a straight up family drama and that it receded into like, it almost reminded me a little bit. It was almost like a, a slight, like zany comedy, like romantic comedy. Where like, yeah, what, it was like a different take on a romantic comedy that we did. Well, I thought it was going to be a, like a, a very staid, very serious family drama. And then it veered towards like, I'm under, you know, directions from a dead woman. You know, I'm holding on to this money to make you well i think the 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 mom said that she knew that she, that she that already she always jane, loved ben jane the cousin already loves ben right. and but it's like, she yeah. can make him into a good person it is like a classic romantic comedy setup but done nothing like you would see a romantic comedy like, done now really i mean there's a scene so i i think what makes it so much sadder, though, than most romantic comedies is, I think, and maybe it just depends on who plays Jane, um, the cousin, or how you picture Jane. So I guess I imagine Jane as sort of like, um, what is it, um, Laura in Glass Menagerie? The, is she the sister? Or is that Amanda? Uh, no, that's Laura. Laura. The, the like, uh, like disabled one, yeah. Like a, a tragic, um, like, sort of younger, like, matronly, like, young spinster. Um, or a spinster before her time. Um, well, there's a line in the middle of the second act, right? Where he, he says, um, Jane laughs for the first time in the whole play. Right. Um, and so I sort of thought of it as like very tragic. Um, and then there's this scene where she's talking to Ben about a time that when he was in the war. And I think I, went, I was thinking of you, John, that this is the first play that really like references the World War I. So we're, you know, like five years out from that. Um, and I think it's finally starting to like be a named reference, at least in the plays that we've read. Um, but so he's in France um, after the war and is with his family. And there's this beautiful young French woman. And uh, Jane is like, and what was she wearing? It was a blue dress. How blue? I don't know, just blue. And were there ruffles? Yes. And then he leaves. And then she like goes to the closet and has a box that was like her birthday gift to herself and like opens it and it's a blue dress with lace. Like to me, that's so creepy and like dark. And um, and then what ends up <laughs> happening to that? Like the, it gets stolen by like her like cousin's like bratty daughter, like who then steals her man. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. Cause I didn't see that coming. And I liked that like, right. When it was her birthday, and then Nettie stepped out wearing the dress. Yeah, that was cool. Um, you know, the thing I thought about with Jane and also Ben, I felt like all the family members were very, very specific. Like, who's the oldest brother? Mean? Henry? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I almost felt like the author, those were people in his lives. And he was he was really describing people like either from new england that he knew or something like that but to me jane and ben were both so broadly 
they were they were sketches to me and i almost felt like what i appreciated about it was it lets an audience kind of like latch onto those two yeah because i i almost saw it as like um like uh very serious like uh talking about families in new england but then it became this like nebulous romantic comedy where you kind of pin your hopes on the boy and girl getting together um i would say my favorite scene was that one at the end of act two when Nettie comes out in the yeah, yeah it was dress good. and it seems yeah. like it's been thwarted mm-hmm. yeah yeah this i i wonder how many like modern rom-coms pull from this thing you know what i mean just like yeah the the whole thing with the judge being in love with her like it was two mm-hmm. plays that kind of got mashed into one um yeah and i will say this is also the you're saying this is the first reference to world war one I feel like this is also the first blatant joke about racism in America, too. Yeah, like oh, early in the just early in the casual play, racism, right? Yeah, this is like the first one when like the N word shows up in one of these plays. But I, but to me, I appreciated that casual racism showing up because uh, it's an important part of being an American. Yeah, I, um, I mean, it it did reveal something. It did. Um, paint the time for us in a way, right? And also, um, I don't know how that casual, I think that casual racism would have been perhaps looked down upon by like New York theater going audience then. It, no it's way, some, Jose, <laughs> come on. I don't know. No, it seems like it from uh, Maybe, from maybe that like three out of a thousand. I'm sure that thing, yeah, dude. I'm sure that thing hit, like people loved it. What I appreciated about the casual racism was that you wouldn't see it in a play now. Or if you did, then those characters, that would define the characters. Whereas... It would be a a huge moral signifier. Right. Whereas then, I mean... But that's so interesting. We live in a racist society and people say casually racist things and, and it doesn't... It's not necessarily like... Um, and we don't show that on stage. We don't show that on TV. And if we do, then it has to be, yeah, like a moral signifier. We, we ignore the, the racism that defines our time, like it defined that time. I mean, I, I thought something that was interesting was this is another play about a family obsessed with like that weird societal pressure of what people think shows up again. And uh, another play, yeah, just about the family unit, the extended family unit in a way that, like, that must have been an important part of society then in a way that perhaps it's not as much now, although we had, like, August Osage County, like... Actually, August Osage County reminded, like, that was something that came into my mind. Um, really? Terms, yeah, actually. Um, not in terms of the quality of the writing. Uh, um, no. Um, but I was thinking about like what plays in my mind like use a family or a specific like uh, like a specific very specific moment in a specific family, but also paint a picture of a place. 
And all of Osage County was the one that came to mind of like thinking about Oklahoma and thinking yeah, Midwest, yeah, Oklahoma, that, where that, uh, where that, the setting of that play. Um, well, I think that's, I was the same. It came to my mind because I struggled to think of like a, a modern play that, um, that uses that extended family unit in the same way that like seems quite a few of the plays we're reading from this time do. Um, I also, lost my train of thought. Um, August, Osage County, family unit. Oh, this is what I was gonna say, is that it also seems sort of like a mashup of the first three plays we read. Like, um, there's a little Why Mary, there's a, actually mm -hmm. it's not Why Mary, but at least a mashup of Miss Lulu Bet and Beyond the Horizon in terms yeah. of like, a setting and a like sensibility. Um, there's, I think, some themes of like uh, of regret and um, bad decisions, even though they get resolved much happier in this than in Beyond the Horizon. There's some like marriage plot stuff um, that happens. I think like all of these comedies, Why Marry Miss Lulu Bet and this, just have the most bogus third acts though um yeah this third act was disappointing to me after after that end of the second act um it's pretty short and not a lot happens and then you have that like romantic denouement that like out of nowhere um i mean i like that like we see that Nettie. so Nettie is like the is like the granddaughter of the matriarch by adoption she's sort of suggested throughout the play to be sort of young and flirtatious she ends up stealing ben away from jane wearing jane's dress um but then like uh opening of act one it's very clear that like that fling didn't last um yeah which seems i don't know i like that the like, then. No, i like that um i just wish that like ben got his ass handed to him a little bit more like he gets the money, he gets... Yeah, woman. in a sense, Jane only, Jane only exists on stage to further, like, his development as a, like, him becoming a man in full. You know what I mean? Like, that's what, that's what she basically uh, is in the play for, you know? This is the first play that we've read, and I was surprised. I thought it'd be more. I mean, there's some... Yeah, it seemed, it was light. It was light. Well, I also think it's the first play that, like, read, like, the play itself is misogynistic in, like, the way it, like, treats its central female character, right? Um, you know, like, Miss Elizabeth and uh, Why Mary have, like, misogyny as a theme and, like, have characters who are misogynistic, but I think the authors are pretty careful to, like... They know, are not, the authors aren't misogynistic, at least for their time. And this one felt, like, a little more gross. Like... <laughs> of like the way what they they do jane dirty is i think what i'm trying to say yeah yeah no she yeah owen <laughs> did not give her a lot to work with and she really yeah i did read his wikipedia page and he wrote 200 plays across his career most of which were produced at set far out. and yeah that's amazing impressive um, but maybe shows in like this is not a finely polished 
work. But who cares if you can produce 200 plays? 200 plays and win a Pulitzer and, yeah. How many plays this was made have? into a silent movie again by the same guy who wrote, did uh, Why Marry and Mr. Dude, they got Dude, a machine, man. They're just pumping them out. Like, this feels like it'd be a great silent movie. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so, what didn't, um, what didn't you care for in this, John? Or have we sort of talked about that? I mean, I guess like the, uh, yeah, just, I, I feel like the, the schizophrenic nature of it, that it seemingly is like a family drama focused around like, just like the actual interpersonal relationships, but it's all about the money. And then it gets handed to a random cousin. It, yeah, it was kind of like sitcom-y or like, uh, yeah. I appreciated and I liked where he went in just in terms of like the the Jane with the dress and then I was expecting the birthday party and for like a thing and then Nettie. That was cool. I appreciated that. But Jane, yeah, man, she, the, <laughs> that dude didn't give her anything. There, She was terribly written. Yeah. I, I think with like a great... I, like, a drag I think queen. With a role, no... I think Jane was like a truly phenomenal, strong actress. If you could give her, if like an actress could bring something to that role, um, I think the play could be like, I think this is about my dream production. So drag queens and or a really, really, really strong Jane and some directorial like cutting and tightening to make it about her. it would be a fight against the script, especially in that third act. Um, but I think that would make the play at least interesting. Um, I mean, it was still interesting to me. I, all it, I thought it was it was well done for what it was, but what it was 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 somewhat thin to me. I mean, it's um, funny, Josh, when you said the thing that it was kind of a mix of the different plays. I almost thought this guy was like, wait a minute, if I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, maybe I could get a Pulitzer. But yeah, I mean, I wonder, like, how, I wonder how well regarded the prize was then. What would a dream production of this look like to you folks? I will say this play didn't really capture my imagination the way other ones have, like, it really didn't like come alive in my head. Um, this is kind of a sidebar, but it is, it is an interesting question. Like th- that idea of like, if you take a character like Jane, that's like not strongly written, um, but you give it to a really, really, really good actor. You know, just that idea of like relying on talent to like breathe life into something. Um, I have nothing coherent to say, but like, it's it's like a it's a weird thing, because um, yeah, like, you could see and you assume that it doesn't usually work the other way around. You know what I mean? You can't have something really beautifully written and give it to a bad actor, and it will like take care of itself. Um, I've seen productions of classics that the right you just want to go source, here. Hamlet's well, speech, the source no matter materials who can fight 
through the poor production. Yeah, I think there are some musicals that it works for. Like, I, I have a, a running theory that, like, I don't believe a bad production of Fiddler on the Roof can happen. Um, like, I think it just works. Oh. I know, okay? I'm talking <laughs> to a bunch of, like, musical-hating, grumpy old men who, like... <laughs> who doesn't like Fiddler on the Roof? Your your face didn't like it. Me? Yeah. No, no, because when I was when I was when you were like there, it's not possible to do a version of Fiddler on the Roof that's not good. I was just imagining a group of SS soldiers putting it on, and I don't think you would like it. I think that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Got it. I I'm wrong. You're right. No, that's true. Uh, Annie. I think Annie actually like fucking just kicks. Hmm. Okay, and we don't, it's not, it's not <laughs> but like, it works. I don't have a problem with what you're saying, you're totally right. Um, guys so and, it, oh, it does guys have and to dolls. be the other way. Guys but and dolls. That's a tough one. Guys and Dolls is a tough one. No, Guys and Dolls is like, still funny. Hmm. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know how many high school productions of Guys and Dolls you've seen, but... Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> I was in one. It wasn't good. It was great. You missed who, uh, who did you play? I played Benny South Street, but I made a choice. <laughs> I played him dumb, you see? Because I played him real dumb. Uh, anyway, sorry, that's all. So what did... Let me, because I I went a different way with the question. What did you uh, What did you not like about the play? Or sorry, sorry. What would be a dream production for you? I know you said the thing about the drag queens and also like uh, I mean, a I really think, really strong character or a strong yeah, actor I, doing I think, it. I think I think that would be it. Um, I mean, I think I have a couple different. I, so this one is so interesting. Like I think this really did capture my imagination. Um, I wonder what if it, captured your imagination about it. I think it's just like a play I would like, like I wouldn't want to spend time, like I would enjoy seeing Anna Christie. I wouldn't want to spend time working on it creatively. It, like it's just too heavy and too dark. Um, I don't really know if I'd want to spend time with Beyond the Horizon, probably a little bit more, but then, and then why Mary Miss a little bit, like, no. But I think this is a play that I would love, I would love to spend some time with. And like, I think I like the, um, I, I don't, and I don't, you, I don't know what else to say more about that. Than, yeah, no, I, I assume that you mean it's like not too heavy and it's not too light. It's like a mix of the different things. Yeah, I think it's like it's yeah, it's a nice balance. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of imperfect, and it's imperfect in a way that like I think means that some shaping and some like directorial vision could make it much more successful than it is on paper. Were you seeing a lot of comedy in it? No. I think in time, right? Like, I think... I'm, there are moments, but I was struggling to see what was supposed to be funny. Yeah, I think... So I think that's what, that's what would happen, right? I think if you... I think if you have performances that do those, like, opening... That opening scene where they're just barbing at each other is pretty heavy if you're playing it straight. But if you play it for laughs from the beginning, if you make the scenes that are sort of 
inherently dramatic. It's supposed to be, yeah. Funny, then it all becomes funny, right? If you play it like, and I think that's what I think. I wonder if that's about our experience, right? Like, we heard this play, we saw it, we heard about it, we we saw it, we started reading it, and we're like, oh, this family drama, and you know, and then some humor sort of seeps in. But I wonder if we reread it, if we did reread it, which I don't recommend. <laughs> I had to I had to struggle through the first uh, few pages because there are quite a lot of characters introduced at once and they're all we even have an Ella and an Emma. Yeah, that's brutal. And and reading it, you're like, all right, who's that again? Okay, that's that's this person and um and going back and forth to cast lists, okay, what's this relationship? Can I ask you, um, Christopher, where did this play come in this dude's career? I think it was towards the end, but not at the uh, end. Maybe like two thirds of the way through. He was so he was a little older. I wondered if he had been in World War One, but no, no he, he was, was not World War One. It wasn't written with any type of honesty. Or, it wasn't. No, he no. was. Uh, he was quite old by then. Come on, huh. he in that French family. <laughs> he had laughed with those French peasants. Towards the end of his career, he's the one who adapted um, uh, Great Gatsby for the stage, and he adapted uh, Ethan Froome for the stage. Two great books. Well, I was just wondering if, like, because to me, it, there's two plays in here, you know what I mean? I don't know if he then had a chance to just do one straight-up family drama and one, like, rom-com, basically with like the same with the same pieces you know you could see it um you could see it being a kind of uh intermediary uh piece in his career yeah i could see that uh why do you think it won the pulitzer i mean i would i would wonder if again what john was saying and you know we never know how these things are judged and to what extent they are an award for the production in a way that like the Tonys are now that like, um, because it, it is such an ensemble piece. If you had, if you had a great ensemble doing this and you had that like family scene and it was quick and they seemed alive, um, then it could be good and a good Jane and Ben. I also think it was interesting to me that uh, preface that you mentioned in your introduction, where he talks about uh, presenting the people of Northern Maine and how whenever like rural people are presented on stage, presented as rubes, as like simple people. And so maybe there was something there that this um this presentation of like rural life was somewhat uh something of an outlier for theater of the time icebound walked so our town could run yes indeed um so i imagine our uh our rankings are staying fixed i have to say i this was probably my least favorite wow see this is probably my second favorite okay i i definitely wow. like this better than anna christie wow um 
Oh, yeah. I like this better than definitely the other comedies. Hmm. Yeah, I think, this is, I think this is number two. After to me, it right? was it was quite thin. And um, I was seeing, like John mentioned, like seeing like echoes or, um, you know, a pebble drop of of like modern romantic comedies and, and modern TV. And, and you wonder like, like the art that we have now coming from this time, but, um, and I found it interesting as a timepiece, but no, um, I will now, of course, if it's ever produced, mm -hmm. have to go see it, but. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of those plays that now whenever they're bringing program to go see it. So let me, let me ask this question. Um, did you learn anything from reading this play? Me? Mm -hmm. You or Chris? What do you mean? What, what do you, I mean, I think for you, you learn things about like playwriting, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess I'm talking about that, but I don't know if there's like a, uh, an expression of emotion or a capturing of it that you hadn't seen before that like um that scene with the dress really stuck with yeah me. yeah i like it was that good. that jealousy that's something we haven't seen it was yet. done really well Important. and it was i love uh in the cast list oh i forget the the name of the lady who plays Nettie. is her name first name was boots <laughs> <laughs> And I just, I imagine her being like a young, attractive actor of the time who, um, yeah, who we love to hate in a way. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I also think, uh, I mentioned this, but like the, the things that like lie really heavy in this play um, are not characters that are like not written characters, right? Like the matriarch. Um, Mm. There's a huge role in this play, and we don't see her. Um, that was interesting. That idea of, of like the family members who are not with us, who are still, uh, still important in this drama. And I think we actually get a pretty vivid. I think we maybe get a more vivid sense of her than like Jane, right? Like she was a hard ass, but sort of more loving. I don't. I, th I think that was sort of a. It was interesting. Um, yeah, and a lot of uh, a lot of the characters' relationship with her we get drawn out, don't we? Yeah. Um, next week's play that um, will uh, will reveal that. Okay. Um, well, I might as well just say it. So next week, um, the play that won is called Hell Bent for Heaven. I think. Um, I. Someone, I don't know, someone. Hatcher um, Hughes. Yeah, and thank you. And the Pulitzer jury didn't give the play to him. Didn't give the award? Didn't, no, they gave mean? the award to a play show-off by uh, George Kaufman, maybe? Um, hmm. But the prize was hosted at Columbia that year. And uh, what was the Hellbent for Heavens? Who wrote it? Um, Hatcher Hughes. Hatcher Hughes was a professor at Columbia, and so they just gave the award to his play. Oh. Um, so that brings the question that, like, I'm not sure which play we should read. 
Um, well, we should read the one that won it, even if it was a nepotism award. Um, all right. So I'll try and read them both. Oh man, we can read both. That'd be fun. We can give we can give our Pulitzer. What's the other one that we should read? Maybe it's called Show Off. Show Off. Okay. Show Off. Um, maybe George. I think George Kelly. I think I I missed that his name. Um, George. So George Kelly wrote. I saw he wrote one of the ones that's coming up, and that is uh, Grace Kelly's uncle. Yes, he has a Philadelphia connection. Um, and he must be the brother of the guy after whom uh, Kelly Driver's named. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can buy that. Oh, it's like that? That's why Kelly Driver's named Kelly Drive? Kelly Drive's named after uh, Grace Kelly's father, who was a champion rower. So, you know, it's along the Far river. And he was also maybe a city councilman or something like that. Some kind oh. of political office. Yeah, so Show Off is by George Kelly. And then uh, Hellbent for Heaven is by Hughes Hatcher. Um, and Hellbent for Heaven is about... It's, so that place takes place in the Blue Ridge Mountains and is about some love and family rivalry. Um, all right. I uh, look forward to talking with you folks then. Have a good week, all. Bye. Bye.